Hi, this is Nick Forster. This week, we're going to revisit a show we recorded last year. It's one of our favorites, and we really cross some beautiful musical boundaries, connecting the blues and traditional folk music and country music, and that all starts right now. Hall in the foothills of the Rocky Mountains. It's E-Town with this week's guests from Portland, Oregon, Caleb Clowder and Reeb Wilms. Interview guests, Nona Yahia. And from Clarksdale, Mississippi, Chris Tone, Kingfish Ingram. I'm Helen Forster. Join me now in welcoming Nick Forster. Thank you, Helen. Thanks, everybody. Welcome. Welcome to E-Town Hall. So I don't know how many of you have seen uh, pieces and parts of the new PBS documentary about country music that Ken Burns' crew put together. But one of the coolest things about that whole program is that it shows that all music is connected, basically. The tree has a lot of roots, and those roots include old fiddle tunes and field hollers and blues songs and church songs and Hawaiian music and jazz and, and blues. It's all in there. So this week, we get to kind of continue on that, on that journey a little bit, connecting the dots between the Appalachian and country and western roots music of Caleb Clowder and Reeb Wilms, who are here from Portland, Oregon, and our first guest, Chris Stone Kingfish Ingram, who grew up in Clarksdale, Mississippi. He started playing music as a kid, first drums and then bass and then guitar. His, his mother and dad encouraged him, even took him to a, um, the local blues museum where there was a program to get some guitar instruction from when he was little. And he took to it right away, and he practiced all the time. And when his friends were listening to hip-hop or rap, he was listening to Muddy Waters and Lightning Hopkins and Prince and other things, too. But um, as a teenager, he built a following. Fans called him an old soul because he could sing and play like somebody who had been doing it for decades. He jammed with Buddy Guy, he kept Mo. Eric Gales, he played at the White House for Michelle Obama when he was a teenager. His first record debuted at number one on the Billboard Blues chart. Rolling Stone, Billboard, NPR, they're all calling him a, a prodigy. Well, he is here. He's really young. He's really good. He's a good guy. I'm uh, really happy to have him here. Please help me welcome, along with his band, Chris Stone, Kingfish, Ingram.
before I'm a old. I'm breaking the rocks on a chain gang up until the sun went down. Too many souls on a bed wet in the dirt poured out to ground. Well, I've seen a lot and I've done a lot. Just who we gonna lay down and end at a home? Well, I'm just trying to ride and I die before I'm a old. Chris Stone, Kingfish Ingram, welcome to E-Town. Uh, thank you for having me, man. I appreciate it. You thank are you. a soulful player and a soulful singer. Thank you. And uh, you've been writing songs about that. I know you're, there's a song on your record called Been Here Before. Have people been telling you that, that you're an old soul? Pretty much. 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now, um, I'm assuming that you grew up in a musical household and you probably sang in church. Oh, yes, sir. Yes, yeah. sir. My mom sings. And on her side of the family, uh, all of my uncles and aunts, they, you know, all of them preach in church and they sing in the choir and they all play guitar. So she was taking me around them a lot. And, you know, around an early age, you know, to like different gospel programs and stuff. Yeah. So they were pretty much like my first inspiration. You know? I should mention that your mom has a great name, Princess Pride. <laughs> and she's Charlie Pride's first cousin. Yep. Yeah. First cousin. Yeah. That's wild. And um, so it was singing and more of a gospel scene than a country scene, what you were listening to when you were a kid. Yeah. Pretty much. Pretty much. Uh, I had pretty much like my mom had all like all the gospel stuff and all like the, you know, soul and R&B stuff while my dad and brother had the hip hop. So I was exposed to like country until later, you know. Yeah. Now, when did you start writing songs? I would always write songs when I was like around 12 and 13, like gigging and stuff, but I felt like they were crap, you know. So I felt like I didn't write my first good song until age 15, and that was outside of this town. And the reason being because that was the first time that I actually took a real life experience of mine and actually put it on paper rather than writing other songs and singing about stuff I didn't hear, you know, yeah. that I know I didn't go through, you know. Right. And the song you wrote when you were 15 or 16 out of this town is a really good song. Thank and you. it's uh, and it's about f probably feeling that tight knit community and wanting to break out a little bit. Right. You know? Right. Um, well, how old were you when you played at the White House for Michelle Obama? I think I was about 14. 14, yeah. No, 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 15, because it was in 2014. So sorry about that, yeah. So, um, so then you put your first record out, and it debuts number one on the blues chart, Billboard blues chart. You had just turned 20, is that right? Yes, sir. So you said goodbye to your teenage years, and then you stepped up the big time. You've already accomplished all this stuff. <laughs> and now you're touring, you're traveling around, you're headlining shows of your own. What's surprising? I mean, you'd already spent time in the bars, you'd already played all the clubs, you'd, you know, you'd paid your dues. Now you're traveling around. Um, what's surprising to you? I mean, honestly, to put all of it in a nutshell, I didn't think all of this was going to come fast, you know, from the, you know, album, you know, debuting at number one and everyone loving it. It's just, I felt like one day it was going to come, but I didn't think it was going to come this early. So, you know, honestly, so with all, you know, long story short, all of it's overwhelming. Yeah. yeah so. Well, you're up to the challenge, man. You sound great. You really play amazingly. And I should mention, especially for our radio audience, um, you're a big guy and you've struggled with your weight since you were a younger person. And we hope that you're doing well and you're healthy and all that stuff is working out. Is that okay? Is it, is it okay? Actually, since you said that, I want to clarify. I just became a pescatarian like the day the album came out. And I've actually gone down in my weight. Like this is a 4X shirt. I used to wear 6X. So I don't know where I'm at now, but I know I'm, I've gone down tremendously in like the last couple of months since May. So yeah. That's great. <laughs> Meanwhile, We'll, uh, we'll get back to music. Welcome back to E-Town, if you would. Chris Stone, Kingfish, Ingram. Yeah. Along with this band. I feel so different 
It's like I don't fit in. Some kids like the greatest hits, but I like guitar slim. See your grandma sing it, and she'd be talking to the Lord. Well, I can still hear grandma saying, Child, you've been here a year before. This way, a mama said the sky lit up with lightning on my birthday. See her grandma saying, and she'd be talking to the Lord. Well, I can still hear my grandma saying, Child, you've been here a year before. Kingfish Ingram from Clarksdale, Mississippi, along with Paul Rogers on the bass and Joe Eagle on the drums. The record is called Kingfish, out on Alligator Records. These guys are going to be back later on to play some more music. Your visit to E-Town is made possible in part by Silk, a pioneer of plant-based beverages that supports the environment as a charter sponsor of Change the Course, a freshwater conservation and restoration program created by Bonneville Environmental Foundation and National Geographic. You can learn more about Silk's environmental commitments and plant-based nutrition at silk.com. And by our diverse family of NPR affiliates and community stations, plus college and commercial stations, as well as our international stations and podcast subscribers worldwide. Thank you for your continued support.
Now, if you're curious about E-Town's home base, E-Town Hall, our beautiful solar-powered music venue, community center, and recording studio in downtown Boulder, Colorado, you can learn more about it on our website, etown.org. You're listening to E-Town. Chris Stone, Kingfish, Ingram, he gets a great sound. Those guys will be back, play some more music later on in the show. I'm Nick Forster, you're listening to E-Town. Coming up, Caleb Clauder and Reeb Wilms are here from uh, Portland, Oregon to play some music. But first, every week, we get a chance to share some stories that we um, hear about from listeners around the country who, who tell us about people who inspire them in their hometowns. And often these are volunteers or, or people who are just looking around and trying to solve the problem. Sometimes they're authors or scientists or, or innovators in different ways. Um, and uh, we, we get these stories and we get to share them with you guys. And uh, this week I happen to know is a good one. And here comes Helen Forster to tell you about this week's guest. They're all good, Nick. Nona Yahia of Jackson Hole, Wyoming, joins us this week to tell us about a unique model for growing food sustainably. Now, many of us are aware that water has become an increasingly precious and limited resource. What with temperatures rising due to climate change and droughts occurring more frequently and intensely all over the world. All that, plus the fact that the world's population continues to increase, is putting a strain on traditional agriculture. Now, I hadn't realized this, but agriculture accounts for roughly 80% of our nation's water use. And in many Western states, it's actually over 90%. And this is according to the U.S. Department of Agriculture. The system that Nona and her colleagues have set up in their town of Jackson uses significantly less water and grows plants noticeably faster than traditional farming methods. The project is called Vertical Harvest, and Nona's here to explain how it all works. So please welcome Nona Yahia. Hey, Nona, thanks for joining us. Thank you, Nick. It's so great to be here in beautiful E-Town Hall. Oh, thanks. <laughs> well, it's not too shabby in, in Jackson, Wyoming, either, so thank you for making <laughs> no, the trip. it's not. Um, but, well, tell us, I know not all of our listeners have been to Jackson. Why don't you tell us a little bit about the town? It's an incredibly beautiful place in the winter. It's about 15,000 people. In the summer, the population rises to about 3 million because of Yellowstone National Park. Wild. And we're the gateway to that park. And so one of the things that I love about Jackson is it's also a burgeoning foodie scene. Yeah. And I love participating in that. Yeah. So the, uh, the long winter means not exactly a, a gardener's delight. No, not so, at all. But you came up with some cool ideas. What motivates you to start this project? Well, none of us, you know, set out to be vertical farmers. Right. I'm an architect by trade. And I really got involved with architecture because at its best, it can be a vehicle for social impact and change. Mm -hmm. And it can really reflect a community's values. And so I was looking for projects like that. And we conceived of the idea in 2008. And if you recall where we were at that right, point, yeah. 
there what architecture wasn't a vehicle for much of anything. <laughs> there weren't yeah. many architectural projects to be had because of the recession. My co-founder was a sustainability consultant, and she was acutely aware of the fact that we import most of our food because of our incredibly short growing season. So we get our food from California, Mexico, Florida. And so she was looking for a way that we could create a local source of food in our community. And I had been working on a residential scale greenhouse uh, that would last the Wyoming winter. She asked me to help. So we came together, we brought our talents together, yeah. and we started looking for a location. And that's really how it all got started. Mm -hmm. And tell us what vertical farming is all about. <laughs> well, it's really about using space efficiently. Yeah. So it's farming in a controlled indoor environment. But by stacking growing systems, we can grow as much as we can in as small a space as possible. So in our three-story greenhouse, we've stacked three greenhouses on top of one another. And so we've created different microclimates to grow different crops. And uh, we are able to grow a lot of food in a very small area. That's wild. So what's the ratio of like what you can grow in your, your world, vertical farming, as opposed to conventional farming? Well, our farm exists on a tenth of an acre, and we grow the equivalent of 10 acres worth of traditional farming. Oh, wild. Yeah. Well, it's, it's so, pretty amazing. Wow. And all year round, which for Jackson, that's pretty important. That's pretty important. So who works the greenhouses? You have a bunch of employees or volunteers or how does it work? Well, that was another need that we addressed. So uh, Jackson's a ski town. People come to ski to party and then they leave. Mm -hmm. In the meantime, we had a local population that was looking for consistent, meaningful employment. So my third co-founder is an employment facilitator. And she said hey, if you get uh, this greenhouse off the ground, would you consider employing my clients that have physical and intellectual disabilities? So we created an employment model based on that. Uh, this wow. population had a 78% unemployment rate in our town, and they want to find meaningful work. Right. I have a brother with developmental disabilities, and in our country, we really do a good job nurturing this population during education, but when it comes to employment, it's like falling off a cliff. So that became part of our mission from Wild. the very beginning. That's great. What do you do with the food? Well, we sell it to our burgeoning restaurant scene, uh, as well as our grocery stores. And now, recently, we've been growing enough food to be able to export to Idaho and Montana in the wintertime as That's well. That's wild. That's wild. <laughs> And, and, um, and of course, you know, you're also cutting down on just the, the carbon footprint of importing everything to Jackson in the wintertime. You're actually yeah. making stuff that the restaurants can use. Is it a nonprofit organization that's doing the whole thing, Vertical Harvest? No, it was really important for this not to be a charity. Uh, nonprofits do amazing work in our communities. We all know that. Uh, but it, this was important for us to be a model, a sustainable model that could be scaled and replicated and really highlight the notion that people with disabilities and what we call actually who have different abilities deserve the chance to work within a profitable environment. So from the outset, a lot of people really wanted it to become a 501c3, but we found what is um, known to many people as a B Corp or in Wyoming, a triple LC, which is a for-profit business with a nonprofit soul, which allows us to measure our financial goals alongside our social mission. Yeah. And so it really creates a really wonderful culture. Um, Helen was talking about the water uh, usage too, so we, mm. we haven't touched on that yet. So this is more water efficient than conventional agriculture. Yes, we recirculate all our water. 
And so it's 90% more efficient than traditional agriculture. 90% more, yes. more efficient. And when did you start this, this project? Well, it was conceived of in 2008, and yeah. we've been three years in operation now. Mm-hmm. And uh, our goal is 100,000 pounds of produce a year. And so, Nona, is there a website if people want to see pictures and learn yes. all about what you're up there to? there are great pictures of our amazing farmers. We yeah. call them unexpected farmers. And you can find it at www.verticalharvestjackson.com. Verticalharvestjackson.com. Yes. And this model is replicable. It could be uh, used worldwide. It's super efficient. Mm-hmm. It's super productive. Uh, the output is healthy and nutritious. And the, the employment model is really interesting, too, in, in that you're reaching out and really creating meaningful employment for people who could really use it. Yeah, I think that is the thing that keeps us getting up in the morning. It's hard. Vertical farming is not for the faint of heart. But our farmers who were before Vertical Harvest cleaning hotel rooms and washing dishes, and we all have to start somewhere. The difference is now they have a career path that not only creates the most important commodity to any community, healthy, nutritious food, but they are leaders in a fast-growing industry that has the potential to help solve some of our world's most pressing problems. So it's a sea change of perception for this population. And I think we like to say that we grow food and futures. Oh, that's great. Nona, thank you so much for sharing your story about Vertical Harvest. Once again, that's Nona Yahia from Vertical Harvest. Jackson Hole, Wyoming. Thank you so much. Thank you. To learn more about this worthy project, you can check out our website also, etown.org. Also, we'd love to hear what you think of this segment and of the show in general, if you like. We're always reachable on Facebook or at info at etown.org. Or you can always write us the old-fashioned way at Box 954, Boulder, Colorado, 80306. Thank you, Helen. Thank you, Nona. Vertical Harvest. Um, We've got more music coming up from Chris Stone, Kingfish Ingram in uh, a little while. Right now, I'll tell you about our next guests. Caleb Clowder and uh, Reeb Wilms are real Northwesterners. Reeb grew up in a musical family in the wheat farming region of central Washington state, watching her uncles and her dad play old country songs. And Caleb grew up on Orcas Island in the San Juans, pretty much due west from Bellingham, Washington. But his mother's family comes from Tennessee, and and there was music in his world growing up, too. They now live in Portland, Oregon. And they're part of a really cool and vibrant old-time country Cajun music scene. And they're in bands like the Foghorn String Band or the Caleb Clowder Country Band or the Foghorn Duo or Trio and just what we have here this week, which is the duet of Caleb and Reeb. They also play Cajun music with some of our friends like Joel Savoie and Dirk Powell. But whatever they do, these guys bring some energy and a ton of original songs. Sort of like the blues that Kingfish Ingram plays, the, the music comes from a deep tradition and they've really studied it and then they've added to it. So happy they're here. Please welcome to E-Town for their first visit, Caleb Clauder and Reeb Wilms. Thank you. We're gonna start with some Buck Owens for you. This one's called, There Goes My Love. And we're gonna get the E-Tones to back us up.
Thank you so much. We'd like to invite Helen Forrester out here to join us for some vocals on this next song. Make her welcome, Miss Helen Forrester. Well, uh, like Nick said, we do like to go down to Louisiana quite a bit and play with uh, some of our friends down there, like Joelle Savoie and Jesse Leger. And we've played with Dirk Powell quite a bit down there and a lot of friends down there. But uh, this song I wrote long before I ever went down there playing Cajun music and meeting those folks. It's called New Shoes. One, two, three. Shoot. 
Caleb Clowder and Reeb Wilms, welcome to E-Town. Um, so it's so cool, your music sounds old, but it isn't a lot of times. So tell me a little bit about writing songs in the tradition so that it'll actually, you know, fool people into thinking it's an old song when it's not. <laughs> uh, you know, I don't know. I, uh, playing a lot of old traditional music for a long time, yeah. I think has really just kind of embedded it in there. Yeah. Um, Reeb, I know you grew up in the right smack dab in the middle of the Washington state. That's right. Up on a plateau, wheat growing plateau. Mm-hmm. Has your family been there for a long time? Well, I'm the fourth generation on our farm. Yeah. My great grandmother grew up just over the hill, so I think we've been there longer, but been there a while, <laughs> on yeah. our farm anyway. And, um, and music in your family, right? Yeah. And so when you're growing up, and, um, and, and I, I have a sort of little house on the prairie picture in my mind, but I'm sure it's wrong. <laughs> Um, but it wasn't the, quite that wholesome, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> nearly, nearly as wholesome. Nearly as wholesome. Yeah. <laughs> but I imagine there's some uh, there's some get together at the end of a long day's work, and people pull out the 
mandolins and fiddles and guitars and banjos and sing and play. Yeah, I think that's true. I wish I'd been around to see my great uncles and grandpa play. I don't know what kind of music they played. I imagine it was some kind of pop at the time. (laughs) You you have their instruments though, right? I do. You have a couple of their instruments, yeah. And you know, my, my dad and uncles play when they get together and yeah. they, they've always been singers. They love to sing and they love to sing harmony. They all play guitar. They all learned how to play on their own. They started with a baritone ukulele and taught themselves how to play and then yeah. moved on to guitars. So it's, it's cool and it's, it's rare. I don't know how many people, raise your hand if you grew up in a house where everybody at the end of the day played music. Mm-mm, I don't, yeah. no, I don't, I'm not seeing it. Yeah. So <laughs> it is rare, that's, yeah. that's, uh, that's pretty cool. And, and Caleb, you're out there on Orcas Island. Yeah. That's a statement to it's be a, from Orcas Island. It's a long ways away. I mean, it's, my mom's from Knoxville. My dad's from southern part of New Jersey. And they, uh, they just needed to get out of the East Coast, get out, you know, move away. And they looked over in Alaska. They looked up and down the West Coast. They even looked over in New Zealand, they said. And they oh. settled on Orcas Island. Yeah. And what about music? You've got the Tennessee roots on your mom's side and yeah. the uh, Bruce Springsteen, New Jersey roots on your dad's side. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I got all mixed up, didn't I? Um, my mom doesn't play at all. My mom's side doesn't really play any music that I know of. My dad played the trumpet and his mom played piano. Wow. So I didn't really get it in the house at all. Mm-hmm. So tell us a little bit about the scene in Portland because you've got these bands. You're sort of like... Uh, somewhere between a Swiss Army knife and a Rosetta Stone, where you can sort of like do all these different things and you fit into all these different scenes. Yeah, oh yeah, we have, uh, like I said, we have a country band, a honky-tonk country band, like this with a fiddle, and we play in this great kind of divey bar with a big dance floor. Mm-hmm. And we get a big dance crowd going, and yeah. there's a couple different dance scenes around town, you know, yeah. Swing and Lindy Hop and Honky Tonk. We're trying to get more Cajun music and dancing happening. Yeah. I started a festival. Speaking of Cajun music, you guys were involved with a great tribute record to Jimmy C. Newman called Farewell Alligator Man. Uh, it's really a good sounding record. And Jimmy C. Newman, for those who don't know, was a Louisiana born member of the Grand Ole Opry. He had the great nudie suit with the alligators on it. They called him the Alligator Man. Yeah. And he was a prolific songwriter. And a lot of people don't know that. And your record, in a way, was a real eye opener for even for me, who knew about him and his legacy, but I'd forgotten the songs that he'd written. Mm-hmm. Um, Farewell, Alligator Man, if you guys can find it. It's a great record out on Valcor Records. Well, listen, I, I think that, you know, what I love about this combination of artists this week is just that you guys are so different from each other and so connected in, in ways that make sense, at least to me. So we've got more music to get to. Would you welcome back to E-Town Caleb Clotter and Reeb Wilms. Thank you. All right, we're going to get Nick and the E-Tones back out here. We were talking about that wonderful record, the tribute to Jimmy C. Newman. And like Nick said, a lot of people don't know who he is or was. He wrote songs like Cry Cry Darling, which are some of the biggest country hits ever. He also wrote a song George Jones made famous called Don't Stop the Music. And, and another thing about Jimmy Newman is that back in the day, he was actually on the Grand Ole Opry and uh, came all the way from Mamou, Louisiana, this little tiny town in Louisiana. And it's the Cajun capital of the world. And he was singing these early songs where he was writing in English, even though he was speaking Cajun French. And he got all the way to the Grand Ole Opry. What a huge feat for a guy from Mamou, Louisiana. Long story short, here's a song that he wrote back in the early days called You Didn't Have to Go. And it's showcasing his beautiful lyrics and songwriting. I think his old country songs are some of the great examples of where Cajun music and country music mix and influence each other. So 
Here's one of those songs. Caleb Clowder, Reeb Wilms. The record is called Innocent Road out on West Sound Records, along with E-Tones, Chris Engelman, Christian Teal, Ron Jolly, and Helen Forster. Thank you. Caleb and Reeb. This portion of E-Town is made possible by the Bohemian Foundation, building stronger communities through the Bohemian qualities of creativity and imagination. On the web at bohemianfoundation.org. By the way, if you tuned in late and you've missed some of this week's program, the E-Town podcast will have this episode and others, along with content from past shows as well. It's available for free in Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Spotify, and other podcast directories. You're listening to E-Town.
I'm Nick Forster. I want to say hello to our listeners who are hearing E-Town on stations like WOHM, OM Radio, in Charleston, South Carolina. Thanks for tuning in. On KSKI, Kayski in Sun Valley, Idaho, and on WFHC, Harford Community Radio in Bel Air, Maryland. Thank you for tuning in. And as always, if you want more information about our guests, if you want to see what everybody here on stage looks like, there's videos, there's photos. You can find out about how to get tickets to shows. You can see all kinds of stuff at etown.org. Okay, so we learned so far that all music is connected and the blues is part of everything. It travels everywhere. And there's an audience for American blues or bluegrass or country or old time or jazz or Cajun music literally all over the world. And we all should be proud of this amazing and peaceful American export. In fact, we might want to try to create the Department of American Music or something like that as a, as a part of the State Department because the world is safer when diplomacy is working and music does connect us all. So I think that might be something we want to check out. <laughs> diplomacy through music. I think we can do it. Right now, would you please uh, welcome back one of, I'm sure, one of our great ambassadors, Christone Kingfish Ingram. Coffee for my breakfast. No butter on my road. I ain't got a drop of milk for the cornflakes in my bone. Well, I'm all fresh out. Said I'm all fresh out. Ain't had no loving since the day. Since the day you went away, said I'm all fresh out. No chili in the jar, no flour in the sack. I ain't got nothing cooking, baby. Please, won't you come back? Well, I'm all fresh out. Said I'm all. Ain't had no loving since the day, since the day you went away, said I'm all fresh out.
last bottle of Johnny Walker Red. Nobody in this house but me and an empty man with a bone fresh out. Said I'm all fresh out. That is Chris Stone, Kingfish Ingram from Clarksdale, Mississippi, along with Paul Rogers on the bass and Joe Eagle on the drums. I think we're going to remember this show. We're going to say, oh yeah, I remember that. I remember seeing him in, at E-Town. What a talent. We're going to do one more song and get everybody out here on stage. I want to thank all our guests. Um, I want to thank our interview guests, of course, Nona Yahya was here with Vertical Harvest from Jackson, Wyoming, telling us about super efficient farming practices that she's launching. Uh, thanks to Caleb Clotter and Reeb Wilms for coming out from Portland, Oregon. Thanks to the E-Tones and Helen Forster, and thanks to Chris Stone Kingfish Ingram and his band. So um, we always... We always have a great puzzle when we're thinking about what song we're going to do at the end, right? 
And so continuing in our theme of all music is connected and it's all shares the common roots, we found Jimmy Reed and Bill, Bill Monroe. And we're, there's a little mashup. I'm Nick Forster. Hope you can be with us next week right here in E-Town. Hey, all the road is rocky. Won't be rocky long. Oh, now the road is rocky. Won't be rocky long. Never miss your water till the well runs dry. You'll never miss your woman until she says goodbye. I don't
Towns recorded at E-Town Hall and produced by our donor-supported nonprofit organization. To comment about the show, send us an email at info at etown.org or reach us on Twitter or Facebook. Distribution of E-Town is made possible by our family of sponsors, this station, and listeners like you. This is a production of E-Town. Thanks to Chris Stone, Kingfish Ingram. What a great singer and guitar player. Also thanks to Caleb Clowder and Reeb Wilms from the Pacific Northwest, also great players and singers. And thanks to Nona, our award winner, sharing information about vertical farming with us. I'm Nick Forster. Thanks for listening.